Welcome to another episode of the Unrefined Sophisticates podcast. And this is one of those uh, special ones, which was uh, part of our partnership with the Clean Energy Project. So we're doing something a little bit different today. So there is no episode number, as you're probably waiting to hear. With that, I'm going to jump into these shout outs before we get going. We got a shout out to the UK and Germany for being our top listening countries this week outside of these here United States. Shout out to Ashburn and Gresham for being our top listening cities this week outside of Portland, Oregon. We want to make sure you guys follow us on the Instagrams. You can follow us at Unrefined Sophisticates. Follow me, Ken, at I Technically Can. Follow Morg at Portland Morgan. And make sure you like us, subscribe, and review wherever you listen. And tell a friend to tell a friend about us. Double Aunt Andres. Now we're here. I am your host, Ken Jones. To my other box host. Morgan Jones. Yeah. Now we've got... A third in this uh, set of wheels. <laughs> Indeed. Lisa <laughs> Pemberton, how are you doing today? You know, I am surviving in capitalism. That is so, a, like, I can't complain. Like, I, I got a lot of good things on my side, but yeah. That is a word. Just, just making it through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great response to how are you doing? I'm surviving under cap- capitalism. Um, and I'm going to take that now. Thank you. Uh, I will credit you each time, but I'm saying it from here on out. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure someone else wiser said it before me, but yeah, it's a, it's a vibe. It's just like a near constant vibe. Yes. Could you tell the listeners um, your organization and role within that organization? Sure. So I work at the Coalition of Communities of Color. We're a multicultural coalition. We have members of many immigrant groups ranging from, you know, East Asian folks to Somalian folks. Um, We also have Latino people, of course, in our coalition. We also have a lot of Black organizations that are leading our coalition. We work um, as a coalition to pass policy, do programming, and really just advocate for communities of color at large um, in the Portland metro area. So we, we work primarily in Multnomah County, Clackamas County, and Washington County. Yes, yes. That's a, a woo-hoo. We love the coalitions. We love the coalitions, yeah. yeah. We, do. we do. We love the coalitions. Yeah. We also and love... Like, I don't know. My role's always been like the coalitions of coalitions of coalitions. <laughs> like, I... I, coalition, I coordinate like a bunch of coalitions, whatever's needed in the climate justice movement, but they're usually like external coalitions to CCC. Mm. <laughs> so it, it gets a little confusing. Yeah, you know? I was just You're a wrangler. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely a wrangler. Yeah, You're a wrangler. <laughs> <like that. laughs> well, you just you just mentioned um environmental justice. And if you could give us uh, your quick definition of what that means so that we have a baseline for this conversation. Sure. So environmental justice is a form of environmentalism that has come primarily from communities of color, particularly Black and Indigenous communities. Um, The focus of it is broader than traditional environmentalism, which is focused on 
conservation and sometimes accidentally or purposefully, um, you know, racist or segregationist policies. Um, it's more about reaching for collective liberation. It's about, you know, resisting um, the oppression that our, many of our communities are facing. Um, so we integrate, you know, practices around fair labor laws, <laughs> um, economic justice, of course, racial justice, as I called out. Um, but we see all of these things as intrinsically kind of the same issue at the end of the day, where when we're talking about environment, we're talking about the economy and we're talking about race and it's always integrated into the conversation. Um, and I do think that it is proven to be a more effective way to address environmental issues because people don't always, you know, in our day and age, we're kind of separated from our environment frequently, or at least it can feel like it, but people understand money, <laughs> they understand like the economy. And when you can kind of drive home to them, like how improving the environment can improve the economy for everyone, it really changes the narrative. And I think it makes the narrative much more accessible, um, less daunting than traditional environmentalism where you might feel like, oh, I need to like understand complex biology. You right. don't really need to understand complex biology to get environmental justice. Absolutely. Um I, I, I'm sorry to do this, but I'm always brought back to these uh, to the the Bernie Sanders campaign. And I remember uh, a lot of people having a hard time with him not being specific and saying environmental justice. And that to me was all encompassing, but it wasn't all encompassing to a lot of people. Um, but you're saying this is the way to the way to talk about it. And I think it is the way to talk about it, but how do we get people to understand that, that collective idea? Like, how do we do that? <laughs> a million dollar question. <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly trying to figure out. Um, I do a lot of communications actually in my job. And I feel like one of the things we're always trying to figure out is how to help people understand that like what's good for you is good for me. Um, at the end of the day. And I think that people really struggle with that. I think we're raised in a society where there's a lot of, because of the way the system set up, there's a lot of people who have stuff and then everybody else feels kind of like in a scarcity mindset. And yeah. I don't know if y'all ever, you probably saw this movie, but I always think of the movie Parasite, you know, where the, the rich people in the movie, uh, they basically like, they're kind of like treated like harmless almost. They're, they're sort of just like allowed to dominate and allowed to like have all this property and it's seen as something to aspire to. And the poor people when confronted with like their problems being like basically one of, they felt like one of them, one of the groups was gonna win and one of the groups was gonna lose. They turn on each other yeah. and they do it to each other like simultaneously. So I think it's really easy to, when you're in the system to kind of end up being like, well, I don't want my neighbor to get SNAP food stamps because I don't get that and I'm right. struggling. And and what sometimes gets missed out in our modern day culture is the reality that when my neighbor has their food stamps, that's intrinsically better for me <laughs> because like I don't have to then have a neighbor who is like constantly like insecure, who might end up on the street, who might like contribute to a lot of the issues we're seeing in our city right now that I think fundamentally come down to more how the economy is currently ran across the world. Um, I mean, this can make 
the problem of environmental justice and like fighting for environmental justice also feel very daunting to people of course because it's like well what you're telling me i gotta solve all this stuff (laughs) right right but at the same time it's like almost less daunting than just ignoring that if you do if you do one thing you just pretend like it's gonna like solve everything you know, I almost find that more daunting and scary in some way. Yeah, I think like, this is a long-term collective movement that's going to take a lot of energy and time from so many different people. And I'm just one little puzzle piece in that. Like, I think folks can definitely get caught up on the, well, what's the answer? You, you, if you want me to do something different, then I need the, you know, the step-by-step of how I do it instead of, reimagining what the world could be or how you do certain things, um, which is, which is tough and tricky. And, but, you know, I don't know. I feel like uh, the more we talk about all of those things being connected, um, the better off we are. And so I'm, I'm happy that you're doing this work. I'm, and, and from that frame of a coalition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, like the truth is that there with climate in particular, like, there is only so much like me and you can do as like individual people with our own like quote unquote karmic footprint. (laughs) Like our footprints are intrinsically very small in comparison to the reasons our footprints can end up being big, which is the system that creates situations where, you know, I always joke, like people don't always realize like our, our tables are made out of plastic. Like, (laughs) like the issue is so all encompassing in our economy that you do kind of have to go back to the basics and ask like, why is our economy set up this way? And I mean, when you get really deep in environmental justice literature, you start getting into like the ways that like, (laughs) that slaves were like counted and traded and like negotiated and like how over time our society is like normalized dehumanizing people for the sake of capital. And you start to really get deep <laughs> in it. And, 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 and you know, and like I said, it can feel daunting, but for yeah. me, at least, I've, I've tended to take more of, um, I, I've taken a lot of um, solace, I guess, in believing in like a seven generation fight where I'm just, you know, if like, I think about like our elders in the civil rights movement, like they didn't get us to liberation, but we can't sit here and say they didn't do a amazing work. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. They yes. set yes. us up for yes. some great future work. And that's like what I think, like, if you're going to, if you're really going to get very passionate and into activism, I think that's the best mindset to take towards it is like, I won't see this fight end, but I will see it go further. And like, that is exciting. And, it, it's for me it's all about just being like the best ancestor i can be knowing that my output is a little limited <laughs> like, uh, that's a sound bite right there <laughs> quotables already <laughs> yeah the quotables already are just uh, yes. uh, top tier <laughs> so really quickly before we dive into the rest of it like um what brought you to environmental justice um how'd you get there yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a windy road. I grew up in rural Illinois um, in what I now understand was an environmental, um, environmentally impacted community. Mm-hmm. At the time, you know, we didn't really, I don't think we consciously understood ourselves like that. I grew up in the middle of the cornfields. There were some like really horrible, like um, really smelly factories in town. So people used to joke that my town 
its actual name is Hoopston, but people used to call it other things because um, <laughs> of the way it smells. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, we, I, I grew up in this kind of culture and I, it's also like Trump country uh, is what we would know today. So very conservative, mm. you know, my folks were very conservative. So when I was young, I think I like noticed all these things, but like, I didn't understand them. And when I got to college, I started getting into um, really studying racism and trying to understand, you know, why, <laughs> like, well, as a mixed race person, I immediately was like, why is this such a big deal? And like, my parents won't talk to me about it. <laughs> like, so I wanted to understand personally, like what impact it had on my life. And then I also wanted to understand like the impacts on other people. And I realized there was just more to the story. And I think one of the first classes I took that really like shook me <laughs> um, on this path was a class about race, class and wealth. Um, and that was the point where I was, I, my brain just, I, it, it was a paradigm shift. I never really yeah. understood why my mom's family, who's brown, Mexican, indigenous to Southern Texas, like why were they so poor? It never was clear to me. And I, <laughs> so when I realized it, even though the course was like primarily about black folks, I, I studied like other, you know, cultural aspects of how this was displaying itself. And I, once I started realizing all the networks, I started thinking about it more. And then I was always hanging out with the hippies, you know, so, <laughs> so I was like into environmentalism, but I didn't really feel like super comfortable with them. Like I, I felt kind of like an outsider. Most of them were white. You know, and, and I just felt kind of weird in that space. And and so as I got older, I, I just kept thinking about it. Then after college, I worked in immigrants, immigrant rights organization for a little bit as a grant writer. And then I was like, I need to leave Illinois. <laughs> and I came to Oregon. <laughs> so let me ask right quick. Did did was there a moment that your uh, parents were like, wait, what's going on? You know, no, like no? Uh, my parents, I. <laughs> My guess is they'd be like, Oregon sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the best story I have is I'm non-binary and like, I I don't know if I've ever like told my parents that I interpret this as a very gay thing that happened. But when I was born, they were like, it's a boy. I came out head first and the doctor was like, you don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) Summation of me. (laughs) Um, Amazing. And I, I feel like with my parents, like they kind of um, like they, you know, they struggled with me not to be like they they never struggled with me. But I think they realized really quickly that I needed more than like that small town could give me. I needed more okay. than what Illinois could give me. So my dad actually pointed out to me, he was like, you know, your godparents live up in Vancouver, Washington. You could stay with them and then you could move to Portland. So mm. Part of my inspiration was because my dad was just like, I think this would be a good place for you, honey. Okay. And it, it has been. Shout out to my wow. dad. He knows yeah, you know. dad. <laughs> Yes. I'm yeah. And then once I got to Portland, um, I worked as an AmeriCorps Vista for a little bit. You know, I, I racked up debt and energy costs. I was living in this really bad apartment. And so... I started thinking about like, I would really, I really wanted to get into environmental justice work, but you know, there's only so many organizations that do this. There's only so many, <laughs> and especially the way I wanted to do it. So I got lucky, frankly, like, I saw a job posting at 350 PDX, which is um, this little grassroots scrappy group. And 
I applied and it just happened to be for the Portland Clean Energy Fund campaign <laughs> on this, for the field organizer position. And then once I found out what the campaign really was, I was like, dude, this is about my life right now. Uh -oh. <laughs> like, and <laughs> it just spoke to me in a way that like nothing really had. Like, I think I had gotten politically activated by college, but then also like the Bernie Sanders campaign, as you referenced, like to some extent that politically activated me because at least he was talking about wealth in a real way. <laughs> like, yeah. and criminal justice reform in particular, I remember I was really like, hey, he's actually like dealing with the criminal system. Um, but, you know, obviously he's flawed like everybody <laughs> and, and his campaign was definitely flawed. But like I, I that's kind of my point of entry. So it was just sort of this like windy road. And I, I feel like at one point it's like I could have easily missed this path. But mm. I really got lucky and, okay. and like the and then the movement just embraced me. And I've, I've just been really lucky ever since joining the movement that um, I've, I've had like a lot of great homes. So, yeah. Okay. So I this, love it. this this path, although windy, it was it wasn't something that was just a hard pivot. Like it seemed like things were kind of bumped into the next thing. Mm -hmm. um, definitely had some some conversations with a few people that it was like a hard pivot into <laughs> the energy sector. So yeah. it's interesting yeah. how this kind of played out. Um, so thinking about to what you do in your role and you know, mentioning relationships. Can you talk about the work, like what the work of building relationships and strategic partnership entails? Um, it's a funny combination of being like both extremely genuine and strategic <laughs> with like everybody. Yeah. I feel like I typically I lead with like my genuine nature. You know, I tell people like, oh, I, <laughs> I picked up roller skating or I'll just like talk about yeah. like what I'm up to and then they'll talk about what they're up to and if they don't like offer it, I'll ask them. I'll make like a point. Um, I tend to like know everybody's name, like kids' names and like, their dogs. And like, you just get to know people, you know, on a genuine level. And I think it does make it easier than to kind of be real when you get to like the brass tacks of like what's really going to work for everybody, you know, organizationally in these situations. Because I think, you know, when you can kind of ground yourself in like this is a human being, then if you disagree on the policy issues, it's like it's kind of like besides the point <laughs> it's kind of like feels a little bit more like um you're just kind of like solving the problem together like the conflict resolution piece of my job is definitely a big piece of my job and it's not like conflicts are constantly arising but it's really helpful when they do arise to kind of just know like hey this is my buddy yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if this is a really hard conversation we could just like go get a drink after or something and we'll be okay and like we'll be chill or like we'll talk about it later if we like yeah. feel some sort of way and but i've had so you know most of my experiences in the movement haven't been like that most of my experiences have been mostly like very reasonable kind of conversations mm -hmm. about like okay how do we just like meet each other where we're at um and and that's really helpful I think, you know, policy spaces too can be really dense um, and inaccessible. And so I think the other thing I try to do is like, always make sure as much as I can, and I'm certainly not perfect at this, but just like bringing it back down to like real world mm -hmm. examples, real world um, kind of conversations about what people are actually experiencing and, and it's kind of trying to stay a little bit higher level than some of the policy wonk folks want to go. But, you know, they facilitate their own spaces, but the spaces yeah. I facilitate are like coalition spaces where we're trying to understand each other. And, and that's a very different 
environment, I think, than like a space where you're trying to write legislation actively. Yeah. Like then it's going to be different for sure. Um, and I have a lot of respect for what they do, but it's just very different work. So I'd say my work is very emotional labor yeah. kind of work. And I'm really, um, I'm excited for the movement because I've seen a lot of energy and recognition of the importance of the type of work I do, which I think has typically been uncelebrated work, unpaid for work, um, feminized labor. And, and it's just seen as like, oh, that's just what femmes do, mm-hmm. what we do. It's, and, and we're just expected to do it. And now it's much more like, and I've even created more norms of just like, I don't, I don't necessarily need to solve your conflict though. <laughs> like, right. And like, it's not always my job to do that. And so, I mean, that's, you know, I think when you get into like the real like meat and potatoes of why I've kept my job, that's part of the reason that I've kept my job is because I'm good at that sort of stuff. Um, I'm also just like love facilitating. I love helping people like get through a meeting, get through a really complex conversation um, and let everybody get heard. It just makes me really just. (laughs) It just sounds like one of those perfect fusions of who you are and then landing a role that was exactly who you are. You don't you're not having to wish that this I could be who or what I'm naturally drawn towards like you being able to connect and make relationships is it sounds like who you are based on what you're laying out in terms of how you build rapport and so on with people and try to remember this is a human this is a whole human in which I'm dealing with and to be in a role where you're building you know building relationships versus filling in spreadsheets (laughs) you know that's like it's just dope hearing that like yeah, I mean, everyone's got to fill out spreadsheets. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm happy that's not like the main, you know, meat and potatoes of my job. I mean, right. I, that's kind of what I started in with grant writing. It's great skills to have. But yeah, I think over time, I realized that, like, I was just more interested in what everybody else was thinking in a room oftentimes than what I was thinking. And yeah. I, and I, I remember like when I first entered the Portland clean energy fund coalition space as like a field organizer, like showing up to the meetings and everyone thought I was shy. Cause I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just would sit there and just listen for like the entire meeting and like, just not talk at all because mm-hmm. I was just absorbing all this information. And even if you approach it from an accessible, like trying to be as clear as possible, the truth is that these systems are extremely complex and like locally they're complex and statewide they're very complex. So you you do kind of have to like have that period of time, I feel like where you're kind of breaking into the role and you're just kind of sitting a lot of the time, just learning, asking your mentors, like, what do you, what can you tell me? Like, teach me. Like, tell me what the cheese may is, basically. Like, just tell me what's up. <laughs> that is a great... You pulled up mentors, and I just want to stop on that right quick. The mentors that you came across were these people that you met as a result of... Or work with these people outside of work. Mm. Where do these mentors appear from for you? Mostly in coalition spaces. Okay. You know, so 350PDX um, is a predominantly white organization. I think that's still accurate to their representation. Um, And they're primarily older, you know, boomer types. Um, So when I entered that org, I was like, 
the field organizer for this campaign, I was also like expected you to do the equity work. And <laughs> I, well, <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was a frisky young, like upcomer, you know, I wanted to like, I just wanted to shake shit up. And <laughs> I just, I just wanted it all. I like, I had this idea that I could just like systematize things and like people would, you know, anyways, lots of learning lessons. <laughs> but in that process, I felt like I needed a lot of support from other BIPOC folks. And so I, I gained a lot of mentors in my coalition space. Okay. I would talk to those folks. And, you know, there was always like some policy conflicts, like these things never just <laughs> like manifest in just like, oh, I don't understand racism. It usually <laughs> manifests in like the policy, actually, that like, most people get the general concept. They just yeah. don't always want to <laughs> apply the lens um, to the work. And so that was where I really needed mentors because I needed to be able to talk to these retired white folks who had like eight hours every day to research complex policy and degrees and like be able to basically argue with them that like we should maybe like listen to people of color who are telling us about how this policy might negatively impact them. And, it, and you know, it's just a real challenge to like become streetwise enough. Um, and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I, you know, I would lose my temper. I would get offended by people. I would just, I would just be kind of just upset sometimes. And yeah. I mean, I think that's normal to be clear. Like if upsetting. you upset when people are being upsetting, that's not your fault. But, like, yeah. but I think I had to learn how to detach myself a little bit, funny enough as an activist from like the outcomes of my work and be a little bit more um just be a little bit more like I, I yeah all I can say is like almost detached is just a little bit more like I had to learn how to let my work sit at work um yes. and mentors weren't particularly helpful with that actually because <laughs> like a lot of people who get into like ED positions director positions they have I mean I have a lot of respect for them they pour their whole heart and soul yes. into this work and they work a lot and you know, the people I know in those positions are really incredible people. Mm -hmm. And, um, but part of that is just like not detaching from work. And right. so I think learning over time how to do that in a way where I could still wake up every morning and like be passionate, yeah, be excited, yeah. be motivated, but also, you know, six o'clock hits and <laughs> I'm watching I'm some BS YouTube video and making food and like ignoring that <laughs> the yes. climate is collapsing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like kind of back to regular scheduled programming. And it took me a few years to snap into that. But I think, you know, particularly, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the Portland Clean Energy Fund campaign because that's where I made a lot of the connections that it just continued to be resources for me of like just wisdom from organizing for so long. See, this is, you highlighting that need to kind of switch it off. Um, very important. I think, you know, even for my time now, um, doing nonprofit work and seeing people who are around the clock, this is it. Even the friends that they're hanging out with, it's just more conversations about this stuff. <laughs> and it's like, you know, what are the, where's the free time or, or, or where's the time that you're just doing something unrelated, you know? Uh, boundary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, but how much value of being able to kind of snap out of 
you know, and then be able to come back to it kind of with a fresh take to get it out of your mind. I mean, anybody that's done anything creative, no, you push away. You're going to hit a wall, push away, go take that walk, go do something. You come back to it. All of a sudden it clicked or, mm-hmm. you know, you've just got a different perspective on what you thought was finished or this was weird right, right. Here. I don't know what about it is weird and then you come back and you notice it so it's just that important the importance of being able to set those boundaries um I'm just glad you touched on that yeah it's definitely like lifelong work to learn yeah. how to do you know and um you know I'm thinking about being a therapist and it's going to be the same thing with Ooh. that I mean because like you yeah, yeah. gotta not get too attached to the yeah. outcomes of your clients in that situation and I think, you know, I think when you're doing this work, you, you obviously care. You obviously like have dedicated enough time into learning about these things that you're well-educated enough to be like very passionate and kind of intense about it. And you need that. Like you need to be, you're, you're fighting for everybody, but you also have to like fight for yourself and know, you know, one of my favorite organizing quotes is like, it's like organizing is a choir. And when you're in a choir, some people stop singing and other people keep going yep. <laughs> like so you don't always have to be singing for the choir to keep to keep being like boisterous and beautiful and i think that's the thing it's like you you're never allowed to like fully set down the work but you're also not allowed to just like take it on so much into your soul mm-hmm. that you almost I mean, what I've noticed is like people, as I myself would get like ego driven in those moments. So it would be more about like what I wanted than what was like the best thing for the movement. And so I think people have to be very careful about attaching their personal worth to yeah. activism because your worth is intrinsic. Like nothing's going to change that. And if you bring that into your work, it's going to it's going to make it a lot harder and, and you'll probably upset yourself a lot more than you need right. to. Right. The self-awareness it takes to uh, realize that and then do something about it is big. And I think uh, hopefully people hearing this will understand they're not the only person that may have brought their ego into something. And that's what that was. And it it can be different. It's okay. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to get back to um, like clean energy gets framed as a job killer in mm-hmm. in not just political media just like all over yeah <laughs> it's like well what about the oil how what <laughs> will we do without the oil barons um <laughs> can you talk about the job creation implications of clean energy investment i mean like yeah. i feel like that gets lost a lot <laughs> and then let's discuss I- five dollar gas the gas industry is not sustainable economically at this point either, right? so what's interesting is that clean energy is cheaper than fossil fuels um especially in the state of oregon um so just in terms of like transitioning the economy on that point it's just going to be cheaper for everybody now on the jobs creation angle what's really interesting is clean energy is a new sector which means that there's a lot of opportunities to build out the sector and jobs in this sector tend to be what has been traditionally well protected labor organizing jobs so they tend to be well-paid electrician jobs or construction jobs um you know infrastructure jobs basically um and so when you look at it the wages tend to be at least like 100k a year per job um 
if you are a journeyman, um, oftentimes it's like 80 to 120 is what I've normally seen. Um, So you're talking about much higher wages um, because the labor unions have been very successful at um, continuing to keep their wages at the rate of inflation. So the wages are higher. There's more opportunities. I think the biggest thing for communities of color in particular to think about isn't just that like these are opportunities for us to make, you know, a, a living wage. It's also that this is like a career that is wide open to us. <laughs> like, yeah. like, and there are a lot of folks retiring from labor unions, getting older. There's just a lot more space for us than there was 10 years ago. And I think the labor unions have done a lot of work. You know, I'm sure there's much more to do and other people could speak to that more, you know, more eloquently than I can. But like, from what I've seen, there is like a genuine attempt on, by the labor unions to be more inclusive. And so I just think, um, you know, I don't have like the facts and figures to be honest, but on a like, on a conceptual standpoint, I understand just like the, the wide open opportunity for living wages that we have here. And I think, you know, when I look at the clean energy fund, I think the things we were trying to address is like livability, living wages. So livability in terms of like the quality of housing that people have, the quality of energy that we have, you know, living wages for any new jobs, including nonprofit jobs, which is like low key, a big problem in the nonprofit sector. Like we don't get paid well. (laughs) It's taken me five years to like make a living wage. (laughs) And they will legit say to you in your face, like, but you're doing great work. You know, like that's payment. (laughs) I got paid 10K a year for 40 hours a week. And they looked (sighs) in my face and were like, you're doing great work. You know, it's like doing great work. Be very careful. Y'all can't see me, but I'm just like, <laughs> be very careful. It's all no. Like, keep taking advantage of your kindness anyways. <laughs> like, um, protect yourself. But yeah, I mean, like, I think people, like, I think generally people can get the concept. I think that the main issue I see with, like, the terms of, like, you know, transitioning the economy away from fossil fuels is, frankly, it's going to be way more expensive to not do it. But the problem is that people especially the current economic system is set up for short-term wins and not for like long-term gains girl and so we're just looking at like you know we got a bunch of stock market bros running our economy (laughs) and all they care about is like getting their next bump and like and like making more money in the short term and they don't care what the ramifications are and sadly since 2008 it hasn't gotten much better so i I look around at our current economic instability and it is scary, you know, like I'm not going to take anyone's like right to be a little fearful away from, from anyone. I mean, I'm a little fearful all the time. (laughs) I see like how things are going, but I will say that there are a lot of opportunities for folks to get better wages through the clean energy fund in particular, but through lots of different ways that justice-based movements are fighting. And I think we all just have to kind of, stay in solidarity with each other, you know, and and just keep fighting the good fight. And I think we'll keep seeing backlashes. We'll keep seeing different waves of movements, but we just have to hold, hold our center and keep going. (laughs) Yes. And, and for people, I just want to highlight in case you missed it, look into the trades. There's a, there's a lot of ways in, there's a lot of, a lot of ways in to be able to make the type of money that. Can I shout out an org? Yes, please. So if you 
I know that a lot of formerly incarcerated people feel like, you know, there's, there's no way forward. Like you're, and you are, you're given a tough deal. Like I'm not going to sit around and be like, you're not, but um, there's this organization called constructing hope. They, they are doing primarily like workforce development with people who are formerly incarcerated and they get people into journeyman careers where you can make, you know, 80 to 120 K and especially over the lifetime. And not just that, you have workers protections, you have a union that will fight for your rights. You don't have a union that will answer if you face discrimination on the job. You have a lot more protection in unions than you would if you took a job as a cook, for example. It, right. It's just a lot more protection. It is more time. It's kind of like yeah. a college degree, mm-hmm. but it's worth the effort and you don't always, and you don't have to pay for it really. That, <laughs> so that. you can just apply and go. <laughs> that, which is something to highlight um, as you go through um, your apprenticeship program, you are being paid and you're being paid yes. pretty well compared well, to s- some of these other things. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what I make per hour, honestly. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I worked for a construction company for a while as a purchasing manager and I, I saw what these people were making and uh, the field guys and yeah, it's, it's a pretty penny. And, nice. I, and, and I mean, Again, we've been pushed college for so long, college, college, college. No knock if that's, you know, I I do feel that college applies for certain things you want to do in life. But there's a lot more that you can do out here without any of that paperwork or possible 80 to 100K being spent to make it through that uh, process. Right. (laughs) Just to make make 80K if you're lucky. Yeah. I definitely encourage anyone to like look into the different opportunities that PSEP has for like workforce development. I know a lot of those programs are filled, but there's another round of $60 million coming out this year. So there's going to be a lot more money for workforce development hitting the ground this year. (laughs) And for folks that didn't put this together, we're just going to sum that up really quickly. There's a lot of people retiring from these trades. That means lots of openings for other people to get in this. You do not have to be a young person. You do not have to be uh, college educated to learn a trade and get get going with something that you may find a ton of passion in, you know? A little motivation is all it takes. Yeah. You can build your own house during the apocalypse. I and mean, that's wow. what I'm talking about. <laughs> Talk, about Talk about it. How do we let's get let's get down to brass tacks. How much does it cost to build a bunker? <laughs> that's <laughs> right. I'm looking for that. <laughs> so in the space of, you know, money being um put to the side to be able to go towards a lot of this stuff. Can you tell us something about the Renewable Energy Initiative or 26-201? Yeah. So the Portland Clean Energy Fund is the program I referenced that I said was going to have $60 million come out this year. So the backstory of that um, campaign, I'm sorry, my dog is being extra (laughs) and she's going to maybe snort all over this recording. Anyways. Um, so the backstory of that is basically the NAACP, um, Commissioner Hardesty in particular, put together a coalition in 2016 to pass the Portland Clean Energy Fund. And the fund is basically been created through a 1% um, business license surcharge, which is fancy speak for like when you when they file their taxes, they have this thing called gross receipts, which is the gross earnings that they made. And that's the part that we're taxing. Okay. So we tax that. We basically were like, we're going to put a surcharge on that for 1%. 
1% from the 1%. It was only from multi-billion dollar corporations that made over $500,000 in the city of Portland. They also had to be multinational. They needed to be across the globe. So they need to be major contributors to climate change. And we put a surcharge on them for 1%. And um, yeah, it ended up creating a pretty large fund. <laughs> oh. Initially, we thought it was going to be $30 million. It, then we thought it was going to be like 44 to 60 And now it's like $90 million a year. Um, yeah. So the gift it, that keeps on giving. Damn. Wow. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're an activist, maybe look into business license surcharges sometimes and see what you know they could be a really good mechanism for some affordable housing stuff um anyways but it's a lot of money (laughs) and uh yeah so the program was set up to fund 30 million dollars but like i said it's much larger um in the first year we funded 8 million as like a pilot round um the categories in the funding pile are 40 to 60 percent clean energy i think it's 25 to 30 percent workforce development 10 to 15 percent is for regenerative agriculture or green infrastructure which is fancy language for trees (laughs) (laughs) and for like just green spaces basically like put a green some green stuff on a roof y'all like that's green that's green infrastructure um you got a garden that's green infrastructure so um so that's basically like what the fund is for there's also a little bit of a fund that's called innovation and it's for things that aren't in the other categories but that community might want to have funded and the fund is for by and for our communities like it's ultimately for community-based organizations to access in order to build out our economic infrastructure um and we made it very clear and we continue to make it very clear like this is not government money this is for us like for what we want and so i think it's also something to keep an eye out on if you um you know as an individual you can't apply but as a nonprofit, you can so might be some interesting ideas that come forth in the community about like what kind of nonprofits we need what kind of infrastructure do we need what kind of supports do people need how do kids get into these jobs like i think there's it could go so many ways and to be honest that's part of the fun for me it's like i don't um i'm not on a judging panel or anything i just represent the coalition Mm. so i never know you know what grants are going to get submitted or like what's going to happen until find out with everybody else so i i find out like what got submitted what's interesting what's kind of popping and and then i find out who got granted and it's always like really interesting to find out i mean some of the highlights from the first year of funding is um i referenced constructing hope earlier um they're doing a great program where they are um helping 200 people get into the trades um over this year so they're running like giant pre-apprenticeship workshops where they help people learn the basic skills to get into the trades and then they help them navigate applying into the trades getting into the trades how does that work so it's been really cool because there's like programs like that that are more about how do we even start to do this uh, mixed with programs that are like you're in it (laughs) like you want to be a journeyman and now you're doing that job um, and you're trying to learn on the job um, so it's been really cool to watch all those projects. Another project I'd reference is Verde, um, which is up in the Coley neighborhood. Mm-hmm. 
They have a really cool like solar program that they've been working on up there. They've helping low-income homeowners. It's a primarily Latina community. Um, they're helping those folks like set up solar panels and heat heat dump pumps, heat pumps uh, in their buildings and basically making sure that their electricity is, well, one, safe so that they can have heating and cooling year round and also affordable. So, I mean, I think there's like a lot of interesting projects happening. I mean, those are just a couple. I know there's like so many. I think there was like 30 grants that came out last year and they're all really cool and interesting. So yeah, the next round of funding should be announced at the end of like at the end of the summer. So that round is going to be 60 million. And then, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to spend 90 million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, and I think part of the thing to know about this is like we really had no idea how much money multinational corporations were making in the city of Portland. And the city didn't know because they had right. never tracked these receipts before. So this is really like the first time we understand how much of Portland's economy is actually being spent on like multinational corporations. So it'd be really interesting for someone to do some like records requests and like see how much, I mean, we can take a guess obviously, um, but like how much money is really pouring out of Portland. And and we think of ourselves as a really local economy. And I think we do a pretty good job at that. I mean, you know, I bought my dinner tonight from a local food truck, but like, I also know that there's a lot of ways that we're just not set up to be a fully local economy because, you know, there's only so many grocery stores you can go to. There's only so many places that you can shop at. And there's, especially with the food costs these days. So it'll be really interesting to see how people utilize that, that information in the future. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Have you seen a difference in community engagement or enthusiasm for these clean energy projects since the passage of 26201? Yeah, I think people see it as more part of the racial justice movement in general. Like, I think people, I think also the racial justice movement has just been obviously very successful locally um, in some ways. I mean, I think in other ways we have a long way to go. Um, but I think like it has made it so that I think black and brown folks, like we see ourselves in the pro in this clean energy world now. And we have ownership over it in a way that I think would have been hard to do without these types of resources. You know, just on like a pure wealth level, most white households last time I saw on average may have 10 times as much wealth as most black households. Um, And usually after the recessions, it gets worse. So we'll find out how it all shakes out. But that was the last one I had seen. And I think when we, you know, when we just look at that, I believe Latinx people, it's like six times, like it's, it's pretty wild in terms of wealth disparity. Most BIPOC people are in debt. We don't have wealth. (laughs) And so I think ultimately I see this as a reparative measure. You know, um, I think the just transition, a lot of the work that we do is often more about like, how do we, repair what's broken how do we help our folks have access to things and set them up for success in the future um and how can it have like climate benefits to it because the other thing about this is that you know people of color disproportionately are impacted by climate change and disproportionately live like where i live right off of like a big a big interstate (laughs) where there's a lot of air pollution where there's a lot of fossil fuel consumption Um, But we're also like typically 
um, poor. So we don't have like the infrastructure to survive heat waves, ice storms, other natural catastrophes. We don't own land, so we can't typically just go farming anywhere we want. <laughs> like there's a lot of things that are just kind of like set up in the society. And so I think, you know, the thing that's promising to me is like PSEF has no sunset. And I think at this point we've protected the program well enough and we'll continue to protect it as a coalition. I think we can pretty much count on this being a lifelong resource for our community, a, a generation, yes. a generational resource. And even if the corporations keep making more money, we'll just keep making more money with them. And that is, in my opinion, one of the best solutions to climate change is, is just to take our power back, take our income back, take our wealth back. Setting <laughs> um, this bill to back. not have a sunset <laughs> date is the most genius thing. But, okay. but what we did was we were just like, we're going to make it happen. And, you know, I'll give credit to my mentors of the coalition. Like they had a vision. They were set. They were going to do it. And everybody and their mother told us and me and everybody else, like, it's not going to happen. Oh. And we just kept pushing. And I mean, we had like 200 volunteers out organizing around the clock. We had fundraised on the seat of our pants throughout that entire campaign. And we just built momentum. And we ended up having the largest voter pamphlet um, submission in Oregon history. We had oh. over 200 endorsements. It was wow. just page after page oh. after page of endorsements. Um, and so we ended up being able to pass it on the ballot by 65% of voters. I mean, most people listening probably voted for this thing. They just yes. might have forgotten um, about it. But it, it was a really popular measure everywhere you went. And there were lawn signs. There were there were signs everywhere. Just PSEF. I mean, yeah. there was this one guy, Micah. Shout out to Micah, who just was like planning <laughs> these signs everywhere he could find. That was like <laughs> legal to do so. <laughs> what was that celebration? The night that it was yeah. like, y'all found out it's a go. What was that? Well, they, I don't, I think some of the, you know, elders in the campaign had a feeling we might win, you know, they, they would see some polling data, but there's okay. all kind of polling data on local ballot measures. Um, so I think it still was a little bit of like a, who knows what's going to happen. Okay. I was on phone calls until 8 PM. So 8 PM is when like voting polls okay. shut down and I'm on the calls with people right until 8 PM. <laughs> I got the calls, I go to the party, which is like a few blocks away and I walk in and we had one already. And I, I, it was my first organizing. Polls just closed. <laughs> yeah, polls <laughs> closed, we won. <laughs> like it was over. And I was, I mean, I was flabbergasted. I don't drink very much anymore, but yeah. I partied that night. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and I mean, it was exhausting to work on that campaign, I'll admit, but like, I, I think, you know, the feeling of that night, and it's a feeling that has stayed with me ever since, was just pure hope. I mean, in a way that Obama never gave me. Like, I, <laughs> I had, like, a first surge of hope. Like, I was like, shit, we can do this shit. <laughs> like, yes. It got me to my soul, and it stayed. It just stayed ever since. I've just been hopeful ever since. I love that. For the that. folks who don't live in Oregon and vote other places, I just want to clarify with all of the, you know, like uh, voter fraud talk, which is not real, but understand the polls here can close and something can have one because we vote by mail and we vote <laughs> early and those votes are getting counted, even though other people are still voting. So once you have a certain margin, no one could 
you know, come back from that. Meet you at that point. Yeah, come back. Yeah. Thank you. I couldn't. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out because I know that somebody would be like, well, how'd you win if they just closed? Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, there was no, there was no. <laughs> No fraud happening. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cared that much. <laughs> like I cared a lot, and I didn't, I didn't care that much. <laughs> so, in this, what are some of the conversations that um, members of the community ha- can have to kind of bring more awareness to the clean energy initiatives we're talking about? Yeah, I think the first thing is to like keep an eye out on like check out the grantee list um keep an eye out on those organizations and like what they're up to um i think the other thing you can do is just you know if you go to um our steering committee website you can follow like our different organizations we're all very active in the coalition the coalition has like a facebook page too you can follow although i'm in charge of it and i can guarantee Mm. we don't update it a ton (laughs) because there's like not a lot to say at this point but when there's like new grantees and stuff we do um we put stuff up there i think there's a lot of news articles written about this you know while i do feel confident about the stability of the program at this point i also know that we'll always be defending this program Mm because, (laughs) you know, different mentors had said it different ways, but like black and brown people having money is always going to be a problem. And especially when it comes from the top and it's always going to be a problem. And so I think, you know, keeping out opportunities, sometimes we need people to write, you know, to the city council and be like, yeah, like this is a community ran project. It needs to stay in community, like keep government out of our work (laughs) like because and and at least like don't get involved unless we invite you in like you know i will say that there are well i'll just be i'll just be honest like commissioner maps keeps referencing the fund as like this resource for governmental projects things like Uh -uh. like stopping mudslides and like basic infrastructure stuff that (laughs) i'm sorry but the government should pay for it's not our community's role to pay for that like y'all have funding for that make the updates you have what do you have you got the american rescue plan money you got ilja you got like lots of different funds right now that you can go pay for that for so Mm -hmm. a little shade that way Mm-hmm. Go, go take care of your own things first. It's acceptable here. <laughs> yeah, stay out of my business. Like, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, like, so, you know, we're always going to have players like that who maybe are well-intentioned. I don't know. I don't know Commissioner Maps. He might be well-intentioned. But I, but like, <laughs> Morgan, you're making me laugh. <laughs> but, but like, however well-intentioned you might be, just know that like at the end of the day, our communities are smart. We're capable. We know what we need. People will figure out what we need. We do so much community engagement within the organizations that I work with. I mean, we're constantly going back to community. So trust the community at the end of the day, trust us because this fund was made and by and for us and it's going to stay by and for us. And, you know, if you're, if you're invited, luckily enough to be like invited to the party, to the table, like, we'll we'll have a great time with you but like yeah. we need, i think ultimately i want PSEP to be you know this like n- this everlasting resource for bipoc communities and i don't think that's possible when government starts to get involved because traditionally in the sense of like controlling the money and where it goes right. at the end of the day like the government is built on a lot of like <laughs> 
racist capitalistic assumptions and we need to be very cautious of empowering that system as it stands right now to have too much control over the outcomes of our communities because you, you can't really trust it <laughs> so, well because under their control this is where we are and we're having to take care of each other because we were completely forgotten by the government yeah. By yeah. forgotten, I mean purposely left behind. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> purposely left behind so other people could benefit. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Yes. So. Uh, this has just been so fantastic. I uh, cannot thank you enough for your time. And I just want to find uh, do, ask, do you have any final words that you want to give to our listeners, uh, places for them to follow, uh, phrases that they need to continuously say to themselves so that they remember, <laughs> you know. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're a person of color, like, of any background like I just hope you love yourself and you know that you have integrity like in, in your own self it's something I'm always trying to learn like we got taught not to <laughs> really value ourselves as children um in many ways throughout our culture and so just encourage everyone to like take care of yourself first and foremost and then anything extra you got that you create from that love that you give yourself like give it back to other people give it to the community and just remember that like as long as you hold that balance like you'll be cool <laughs> and you'll have like a great impact on the community um and then yeah just follow you know follow the portland clean energy fund there's a governmental website the staff is really cool i know i was just really shady to government <laughs> but i will say the piece of staff is one of a kind they are so um they, they just care so much about this work <laughs> they care so much about doing this right and the grant committee is entirely volunteers entirely community members so they're also just so they care so much about getting this right. And so, you know, always feel free to come to our grant committee meeting, check out what's going on in the program. If you're two cents, people want to know. And if you see any public comment periods and you're activated to say something in support of the program, like speak up because we need we need folks to continue to have this program's back. So, you know, my, my children, our grandchildren can have this fund and they can continue to build wealth um and have more stability hopefully hopefully like my kids will be able to buy a house like that'd be cool (laughs) that'd be so neat (laughs) for them (laughs) right right maybe they'll buy you a house (laughs) now now you sound like my mom (laughs) (laughs) i just mean our generation got skipped they were like oh well you will get no houses our our, our generation did not get the wealth boost that we deserved no but we can we can hope for next time next time yeah but yeah overall just love yourself love the people around you you, you we'll be okay y'all <laughs> i know it's stressful out there <laughs> i'm gonna start hitting you in the mornings for pep talks right <laughs> That's watch that. out sometimes i'm moody <laughs> sometimes you'll call me and i'll be like this this shit though <laughs> <Not now. laughs> well thank you thank you thank you and thank you again this was a popping episode with a lot of quotables and just good information being delivered which is the whole intention of this and you really know your stuff and you can tell that it translates through you because of that and the way that it does um it it made me think and it's just a quick little tangent about the idea of when you know something then you can teach it that's how you know Mm. if you know a thing and the way that all of this conversation flowed from you. You can tell this is really something that means something to you in the core. This isn't a title. This isn't uh, just something you do. This is a part of you. And 
that is um, something I always find inspirational and motivational when I come across people who are built like that. Um, because there's a lot of people that operate in this world and look at things as just a quick lick. <laughs> and this All the grifting. That. Yeah, yeah the, grifting, <laughs> the grifters. Grifters unite. Um, maybe, maybe next time we talk to you, we'll talk about the grifters in the clean energy space because <laughs> I am shady that way and I want to know who they are. <laughs> Check out time. Gotta go, gotta go. Y'all know what time it is. Come on, man, get your bags, man. Call that.